When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I am with Honky. Just like Ben Stilley, Dave gave me a black Redcast shirt, but after last week's performance, I turned it down uh, in pursuit of the perfect show tonight. Wow, that's that's really impressive, huh? <laughs> I don't know do. if I like that or not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also with Mac. Um, hey guys, actually this is Boomer. I just wanted to tell you that we're really excited for a big show tonight. Yay! Is that Kermit? <laughs> oh wait, sorry. <laughs> okay, Mac is me, Mac. having a little Love fun you, there Gaster. because <laughs> Boomer. Uh, somebody on Twitter called up that Boomer sounds like Kermit the Frog. And uh, so since we don't have Boomer with us tonight, he is back in enemy territory in Des Moines. Uh, Mac was having a fun there. Mac, you actually do have a hot take or uh, was that it? That was pretty much it, Dave. Thank you. Thank you for bringing <laughs> attention back to the no hot take. <laughs> no, you covered it pretty well Thanks. for no hot take. But, uh, so it's good. Honky usually has enough for, for everyone, so it's okay. Yep. All right, guys. Well, um, it felt like a old Big 8 uh, week out there. It, we uh, took care of business in the first half against the Wildcats of Bethune-Cookman, just like we used to take care of like the Wildcats of K-State in the mid-'80s. And uh, we saw a bunch of great uh, second, third, and fourth teamers out there in the second half. Uh, it was kind of refreshing. Let's uh, head right into scarlet-colored glasses here and uh, give us a breakdown of the game. Honky? Yeah, kind of uh, like you are saying – the game was a little bit of a mullet business in the front and in the back. You know, we had a little bit of fun there getting the backups <laughs> I like in. That. Uh, transitioning into this week, a little bit of a Halloween theme. We have the scary road contest now. It's spooky. We're playing Ohio State. We haven't had a lot of uh, uh, success against them the last couple of years, and, and it's about trying to exercise the demons. Yeah, against it's a bit them. horrifying. It's Honky, it really, have you worked on this monologue for the last like forty-eight hours, pretty it, much? Literally since the game <laughs> finished a year ago against the Buckeyes, I've been working on this. Um, but Bethune Cookman to, to kind of finish that one out, and the game was I thought a perfect week for us. It was basically like having a bye week with playing a game. We didn't practice on Monday. On Tuesday, we had half-padded practice leading into it. It was a very toned-down week. Get them out there. Play your best in that first half. Mac, you kind of said it was like playing a you know PlayStation, getting those yeah. guys as many stats as you could right yeah, away. First and then, half stats. And then get them out at half. Right. I mean, it, the game couldn't have gone better in that regard uh, for us, and, and we're ready to get, move on. Mac, this was just like what the SEC does, right? This is totally a November matchup. Versus a F, uh, FCS foe that now you see why the SEC does it right. It's it's, it's a free bye week. It's I'm starting to see the brilliance of it. It's it's you have all the advantage of getting the team's attention because there's a game and you get to go through the whole practice. You know, honestly though, if we're being 
Truthful, the last thing this team needed to do was have a break after finally breaking through with a win. You know, for to, to get a scrimmage, a live scrimmage, hit somebody else, which is this kind of what this ended up being, and get through it healthy and actually show some progress. The offense came out, and just like you said, it's TCOB, man, taking care of business, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the first, it, the it was first fun quarter. to see. I mean, just after their first week, they didn't squander the opportunity to get some rest and still come out and, and have a really good performance out of the gate. The starters were great. We got them the punt on a fourth and goal. I guess that's always a good uh, a good sign. <laughs> we returned a kickoff yeah, first... or a, a punt for a touchdown. Yeah. Fun. That's right. That's right. The first quarter was uh, a sight to behold, really, from an offensive standpoint. We were very efficient. Uh, we also had that punt return by J.D. Everything went right. Uh, we did give up one big play on the defensive side in that first quarter, and that yielded in a field goal, which uh, the fan favorite quickly became the Bethune-Cookman place kicker slash punter, Ural Hernandez, I believe. That guy was a character. <laughs> you know, there's a, a photo on, on uh, Twitter of Bethune-Cookman, somebody on the sideline buying some runzas, and I'm not sure he wasn't handing them to the punter. But, <laughs> <laughs> but that, you know what? That kid. He was fun to watch. I'd never seen a punter head for the sideline so quickly after a kick. It was like he was exhausted. Like, kicking, okay, back to the sideline. Just heading back. Like, there was a one he hadn't even for sure called a fair catch. He flashed the punter. He's nearly on the sideline. It was fantastic. I love that guy. Uh, that was awesome. Yeah, he's like, like I don't know, 4'11", 240 or something like that. I mean, he was a bowling ball out there. But not a bad kicker for what he was, I guess. I've seen worse. Yeah. That's for certain. Uh, anything else, guys? Uh, offensive, um, uh, well, or defensive quick takes here? Sure. I mean, uh, Adrian Martinez kind of a, continues to grow. I thought he did. He did fine. He yeah. He did have the pick. Um, maybe didn't read that one perfectly, but for the most part, he was crisp. I tell you what, Stanley Morgan continues to make plays. Great hands catches this week. Um, Really, really aggressive in the blocking game. I don't think that was a hold like the officials or like the announcers seem to. But, man, he blew that guy up. Um, into Maurice. <laughs> into Maurice, and that's unfortunate. Yeah. He'll learn to cut that one back. Divino Zigbo coming out and handling his business. Perfectly, super efficient. What was it, 11 carries, 110 yards? Not a bad day. But what's your uh, Dukes of Hazard? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was just saying, his new running style. You know, you see a lot of guys when they go low. The new thing has been to, to hurdle these guys, just to just – clear them in this massive jump and it it's dangerous you lose a little momentum it looks fantastic but what what divine has been doing is he's been doing this like duke's a hazard hood slide where the guys come in low and he just sort of kicks up a leg and just like shoots over him one way doesn't lose speed comes over the next guy slides over him i mean i saw him do it three times it was fantastic so awesome. he's that's it that's his niche man i've, I've really enjoyed him coming around uh so yeah I was wearing my Daisy Dukes that day, so this is a... Tight end's got a little play <laughs> this week. Got a little, you know, Jack Stoll's going to yeah. start picking his feet up a little bit more. He would have scored. He first, was close. Yep, first catch for Austin Allen. So they, they did a nice job of mo- moving it around. I mean, I think the PlayStation thing is true. I mean, it was, let's get 100 yards to the running back. Let's get our two top receivers as many catches as we humanly can very quickly. Let's get some stats on the quarterback. And they got him out. And it... It's a perfect game. It's a perfect lead-in and intro into where we're going now this week in Columbus. Yeah, and leaving the defense on a little bit longer made sense. Um, yeah, they need every snap. And then the get. second half was great, too. I mean, I felt like for for immediately substituting an entire unit. You know, you did the entire unit. You know, that's that's 
that took some guts. It showed some confidence in the team, and really, they they earned it. They they came out and, and looked good. Let those guys get some reps and saw some fun guys in the background getting some playtime. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. I mean, really, just a week before we were up twenty eight nothing against Minnesota, and obviously we let them creep back in different level of competition but i mean this is a situation where we weren't up by that much more at a half but they clearly felt like the game was in hand and they were able to to pull their starters offensively and and get some new guys out there i think one of the things that intrigues me and you can tell me trying to push towards the next week i'm ready to talk about ohio state but i think one thing that transitions from bethune to it was that it was an 11 o'clock game in the morning where we actually came out sharp. We weren't that way against Troy, certainly weren't that way against Michigan, our two other early games. And those were games that it, it left us a little confused, I think, as fans, where the one thing we definitely thought we were going to improve on immediately from play one from a year ago was at least those early games. A year ago, we were just a disaster under Riley, but hey, we've spent all off season and early practices, and it's going to start to pay off, right? Well, it did this last week. And again, it doesn't matter who the opponent was. It really doesn't. It was that we came out firing. If we're going to throw the ball to a wide-open guy, catch it. If you have a guy in front of you, block him. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it really had nothing to do with the opponent. It was just coming out and playing well. Well, (laughs) as we move forward, (laughs) we're playing at that exact same time this week. And Dave, you and I were in Columbus two years ago, and I think we can both attest to the fact that it's a fun place to go in in, uh, Columbus, Ohio, but that's a different place to play at 7 o'clock in primetime under the lights than I think yes. what we're going to see. I think, to be quite honest with you, with them blacking out and doing all the things that they're trying to do, alt, alt uniforms and everything, you know what? I mean, they're. I think they're going to try to manufacture a crowd where two years ago what you and I saw, they didn't have to manufacture anything. That place was juiced and pumped and ready to go. It was. It was a, a great atmosphere. And, um, well, it was the intensity level dropped off fairly quick because we were down. Yeah, uh, we were a top ten team. Touchdowns. Yeah, we were a top ten team coming off of an overtime loss to Wisconsin. I mean, this is a that whole is different. I, I beg you guys to stop going to away games, please, <laughs> please, God, stop. <laughs> well, we're not doing that. Cross Effect's gonna fix that, Mac. I'm not worried any longer. Let's Come wait on, for man. that first, okay? <laughs> well, I, I hit on it a, a little bit earlier. Where I said, you know, this is kind of the Halloween week, and we have to exercise some demons and everything. But really, against Urban and in the horseshoe. My God, you know, we in 2012 we lost 63 to 38. You know, two years ago, 62 to three. We've we've taken our lumps in that location to that coach. And I've heard a lot of people say, you know, there's not moral victories and all that. Screw that. There are moral victories here. Um, I want to see us go out there and, and compete against this team for four quarters. And if we do that and win or lose, there are moral victories because we have not competed against this team for more than two of the last 120 minutes. Yeah. The last yeah. two games, maybe there's been one competitive minute in each game, and that's ridiculous. High school teams should be able to do better than that. And so that's where I'm looking at this game right now. The last two home games that, that Ohio State's played, they played against Indiana and Minnesota. They struggled for quite a while against both of them. There's no reason we can't give up the same kind of fight that those two did. Obviously, the last time the Ohio State's been on the field, they got beat. And that was a hornet's nest they went into, don't get me wrong, in West Lafayette. But that was – they got beat badly – They've stewed over that now for two weeks. And, you know, I, 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 it's weird to say this about a 6-1 and one team versus a 2-6 and six team, but you can argue that we actually have, I think, a better mindset right now. I think there's, there's honestly— We have way less to lose. Well, we have way— We can play completely have, free and easy. We have way less to lose, and, and I, I'll get to my, uh, my buddy uh, Buckeye Dennis a little bit later. I was texting <laughs> back and forth with him. 
And he kind of said what I was thinking is that, you know, it's kind of been a real crappy environment over the last couple of weeks. You know, they've lost Bosa, a captain. They've had the, a really tough season to begin with with all the Urban Meyer stuff. And you can make the argument that as we've gotten our culture right and some things have, you know, flipped, you know, on our team, we're going in there with a pretty good mindset. I mean, and with what, like you said, absolutely no pressure. Yeah, and the, and the ah. thing with that is at six and one, right now they're underperforming, and that's the that's the that's, that's the vibe coming out of their locker room. Is like we're not doing so well. You should be much much better. We're kind of coming at them, going, we're just starting to trend in the right direction. And like you said, there's been a a bunch of just noise around that program, you know, through for the whole for the whole beginning of the season and, and a little before. So. Maybe we catch them at the right time. I mean, I'm not predicting a win, but we're getting. <laughs> I, I'm just, you know, I I, I need uh, to I see it. a lot of things go right. But I wouldn't it's kind of like it wouldn't take a Herculean effort to beat these guys. But we can't we can't stub our own toes at all. We have to play. We have to play perfectly. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that I just actually would just like to see that. I would just like to see us play a really good game and see where that puts us. Yeah, I, I would just Redcasters, you're listening to this. I'm actually getting to watch Honky and Mac talk right now, and both of them are wearing scarlet colored glasses right now. I can see that <laughs> they have just convinced themselves that we can beat Ohio State on Saturday. So I love it. Well, I love it. And where I, what I've convinced myself of is that um, we can put up 500 yards on these guys. Now, does 500 yards equate to 17 points, or does it equate to 42 like it should? I mean, we put up 500-plus points at Wisconsin, and that left us with, what, I think it was 24 points, and we lost by 17. So, you know, I have no doubt in my mind. You can look statistically, and we did all the stat, the stat matchups and everything, Dave. I mean, Correct. this Ohio State defense is not the your, your grandfather's Ohio State defense. They're 85th in the country in pass D, giving up 240 yards. They're 57th in the country in rush D, giving up 150 yards a game. There's yards to be made. But yards aren't points. And so if Nebraska can get the amount of yards that I think they can get, I think they can definitely hit 500 in this game. I'll say 400 to 500. I'll I'll, I'll try to be conservative there. But I think we can definitely move the ball. But does moving the ball get us into the end zone and not make Pickering have to kick field goals that he might miss or, you know, get to the point where we're throwing picks or having having the bad penalty? Yeah, because – Here's the thing. We'll probably hit our average for offense in this game. We're averaging 470. That's probably right about what we'll get. The problem is they'll probably get their average for offense as well, which is about 553. There's you no know? there's no probably. So they yeah, will they will hit that average. They have uh they have playmakers in a lot of different positions and we've struggled with playmakers this year, you know, covering them on defense. So I we're going to have to we're going to have to produce turnovers to win this game. So I was listening to the bottom line this morning. Sam McEwen had a good point is that when Ohio State has lost in recent years, especially under Meyer here, it's it's when their offense doesn't click and doesn't produce. I think their average point total in losses was like 19 or 20 points um, a game. Um, so when the offense does click, they win. Um, and so that that's my I, I see it's a little bit problematic here. I mean, to win in a shootout would be very challenging. It's going to be a hard job to do that. Um, and so you'd have to hope that the, the defense creates turnovers and really stymies that Ohio State 
uh, offense because it's one dimensional or, or whatever that is. So sure. Lamar and, I, and DiCaprio have like just their best days ever. So. I wouldn't mind a shootout, honestly. Well, I think <laughs> if we were in a shootout, oh, I, it was like 55 49 or something like that. And, that'd be but, a blast. There's, that's different than winning, though potentially. I, I think Dave. Correct. Is, I think Dave's absolutely right that that it would require a shootout, and and I don't know that you know typically we don't want to get in shootouts with Ohio State. To your point, when their offense is clicking, that they're going to they be win. they're going to put a lot of points out there. This is a, a unique season because I think Ohio State can put up a lot of points, and I think they they can give up a lot too. This could honestly be a shootout, and I think our only chance. Damn near, I think our only chance to win is to have a shootout, which is not traditionally what you'd want to do against Ohio State. But I can't think of another way to do it. We're not going to hold these guys under thirty points. We just aren't. Oh no, we better we better be prepared we're, to score we, many many points. But the yardage, <laughs> but the yardage amount that I just said that that we're going to put up, and I, I I firmly believe we will, just like we have in you know five or what five yeah five of our first eight games and and northwestern we put up 480 against them i mean we'll put up a ton of yards but does it equate to points if it does then i don't care you know in some ways i don't care how much their offense is scoring if we're turning around and meeting them score for score the the challenge there is that if we absolutely don't do anything defensively to slow them down you're going to run into a 2007 Kansas game where Joe Gantz is throing for 400 right. and some yards. We, we're keeping up with Kansas until you finally make one turnover. Your defense never makes a stop, and you end up losing 70 to 35. You know, <laughs> Well, that doesn't yeah. do you any good either. So, I mean, we have to, we have to somewhere make a stop, and offensively we, we just got to keep scoring, keep scoring. I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. All right, boys, anything else on that? Hey, at least I like the mentality that came out of the press conference today where these guys – they're expecting to go in there to play hard and win. And and I heard multiple guys talk about that. I mean, if you're going into horseshoe thinking you can't win, well, then you're Mike Riley. I mean, that's that's just not – Yeah. The, the, the mentality has to be there. I think our team is confident. I really do. I, I think our defense, in some ways, they're more confident than I – I don't know how, how they feel this way, but they, they speak confidently in a, in a, in a press conference, and I – I, you know, I just watched the game. I'm like, I don't know where you guys get that confidence from because you're not showing it. But, but God bless you. I mean, maybe, maybe it will come all together in a game for them. I, I do feel like they're playing better assignment football. And I mean, if 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 we play in our base well, and some and can occasionally get a couple turnovers, that's about as that's about the extent of what this defense can do. So we're gonna have to play assignment football with the occasional, you know, just hustle play resulting in a in a big turnover or something like that bounces off a helmet and somebody catches it you know not really because of a great play but because we were around the ball we got a turnover on that one so that's what it's going to take on that um offensively we've got we've got weapons ohio state's not going to be able to just completely stop us and i feel like i i'm trying to think who all they played if they faced a quarterback like taylor in terms of running well, Dave, should we should we maybe get over to a scoring explosion on the offense then? Scoring explosion, the offensive breakdown. The thing that I'm curious to see is, I don't know if Ohio State's faced a quarterback like Adrian Martinez yet. His ability to run the ball is a legitimate threat. I I don't say this lightly, but he is a dynamic runner at the quarterback position. He's getting really good at knowing when to tuck it. He's got this. He's got a suddenness that surprises people, and he's hard to bring down because he's got a good size to him. So, um, if things break down, I, I feel like at this point, 
and the Michigan game has a lot to do with this, is he's had experience with big boy football now in big boy stadiums, and he survived Michigan, and he had a gimpy wing, and he's good to go now, so, or I should say wheel, a gimpy wheel, but he's ready to go this year, this week for sure. I mean, his... So, his... I think oh, Ohio State, Mac, just a, I was thinking about the quarterbacks they've played. Ohio State played TCU early in the year, right? Yep. And TCU probably had a mobile quarterback, but even more important, I think, would have been Ohio State has already played Penn State, and if there's anybody else in the Big Ten with a um, similar set of wheels than Adrian is Trace McSorley, very different runner, but someone who does produce yardage. And he had a, a big day versus Ohio State, if I remember right. Almost a big portion of the Penn State offense came with him running the ball. So that, that could be interesting, yeah. Well, I have a question here, Dave, and I'll ask the first part to you and I'll ask the second part to you, Mac. And it came from Law, Politics, and Football, uh, one of the Twitter followers for us. And he talked about, regarding Martinez, uh, what does he need to do to join these two lists? The first one is the top five in the Big Ten QBs today. So, Dave, I'll, I'll ask that to you. What does he need to do to join it, or maybe he's already in it? What are you thinking? Sure. Well, you know, the, the Big Ten quarterbacks have kind of disappointed this year. So, I mean – you know, beginning of the year, you clearly have Haskins, McSorley, Nate Stanley, Lewerke at Michigan State. You'd have Shea Patterson and, and Hornybrook, I guess, as your top top six or so. Um, none of those guys really have huge stats outside of Haskins. Amazing passing stats. Just 75% completion ratio, huge numbers. So... He's way up there. Trace is way up there. After that, I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, I, I haven't been that impressed with any of those guys to some degree. So, yeah, I think you could put Adrian in the top five all, already. I mean, I, I, if you're not on a Husker fan podcast and asking that same question, they may not already do that. But I wouldn't be surprised by the end of this year they would already be starting to put Adrian at that top of the list. Yeah, after more te- after more opponents get him. to see him. Yeah. I mean, really, again, the stats that we've put up, Yeah, just statistics alone. I mean, he didn't play in the Troy game, so the, the seven games he has played in, we've put up 500 yards in five of the seven games. We put up 500 against Bethune, didn't we? No, not no. quite. Oh, we did we not? Okay, so no. four – Four of them, and then two of them were like 480-yard games like we did against Northwestern. Yeah, he only played a half. The only, so. yeah. the only game where we didn't come close was Michigan. So, I mean, to your with, point about Adrian's uh, numbers versus Minnesota, he couldn't – I mean, he, he's going to be a better quarterback in his sophomore, junior, and senior years, but he may not put up any better numbers in that game, right? Ever. And Those so are not – yeah. You literally put Adrian Martinez's season totals with a – a junior opposed to a true freshman, and he probably easily is a top five. They just probably aren't willing to put him up there because of his almost like age discrimination practice. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I Matt, mean, if that if that was Tommy Armstrong's numbers a couple of years ago, he'd be easily a top five. Easily, yeah, I agree. Yeah, you could almost say, would you take those numbers every year? If he never improved, would he be good enough? Yeah. And I could almost say, yeah, he if he didn't improve at all, I would still take him. Like, he's perfect for this offense. And I don't want to say that like a, like an idiot, but I'm just saying he's impressed. Yeah. Now, well, so, Mac, I guess the second part of that question then was, what would it take for Martinez? And this is very early, but what would it take for him to become like a top five in UQB all time? I think it's safe to say 
that speaking a little conversational French, (laughs) 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 that, no, I, listen, this kid, his hype train is, is about as real as I've seen in a long time in Nebraska. Um, You know, Maurice Washington's a fantastic freshman prospect, and we barely talk about him because of how good our quarterback is. Um, he meets, he checks about every single box you could pick for an offense. And when's the last time we've had a quarterback that could do that? He, he's he's physical. He can run the ball. His he's got a he's a quick blinker, which is the catchphrase of the 2018 season. You know, he's got a rifle arm, and he's cool under pressure. You've seen him in press conferences. He's he's not overblown by the moment. I, I'm telling you, all the tools are there, and he's already proven it was the performances on the field. What's the yeah, expectation? I'm sorry, Mac. I was just going to say, look at the stats. Yeah. If you would just repeat this for four years in a row, you're looking at probably 10,000 career passing right. yards, over 2,000 yards rushing. The completion uh, percentage I mean, is crazy. I mean, it, yeah. I think part of this is going to be, to the point of the question, to get into the top five all time, you've got to look at who who's in it right now. And you're looking at Heisman winners like Eric Crouch. You're looking at national championship winners like Frost, Frazier, Jerry Taggy, you're looking at Turner Gill that completely revolutionized the offense. You're you're going to have to get into that category, which means at the end of the day, as great as the stats are, you got to start. You'll have to win a lot of games. He has to win a championship. That, that's what you'll have to do. You have to win a bunch. Be in, that's a hundred percent true. And you know, you talk about a. I've thought about this, and, I, and like you said, I don't want to just jump to the next season, but think about the pressure the coaches have to feel a little bit about. We've got to. We've got a game-changing quarterback now. We need to surround this guy now with a line that can win, yeah. running backs that can win, a defense that can win. Because those, I mean, he he is the kind of guy that'll take you to win championships. You know, well, we've got to get there. And that's how important games like this. I don't want to look at this game, and, and fans shouldn't look at the game, and players shouldn't look at this game as something that's unwinnable. These are the kind of games. These are opportunities. This is a chance for him to go out there and blow the lights off of off of a nationally ranked team yeah. on Fox TV and have people nationally be talking about him. Like, the hype train, I've thought about this. If we won this game this weekend, in the, in the matter of three weeks, we would have gone where after we were losing all those games, we were having to, like, pump up people on our shows. And next week's show, if we beat Ohio State – we're gonna to have to throw the hype train down a little bit. We're gonna to have to like we're gonna to have to say it's. I mean, people That's are gonna be talking about winning people national championships next year and stuff. National, it's gonna to have to be slowed down. National people talk about Adrian Martinez already, and we are two and six. I mean, that yeah. when's the last time one of our players has gotten any recognition? Well, I guess the last time we've gone on with six has never happened. But you know what I'm saying? Like we are so <laughs> low in terms of like college relevance right now, and and yet. Our quarterback is getting looked at like, well, geez, Nebraska's really got somebody here. This is this guy could be dangerous going forward. So yeah. Yeah. it's exciting, compare, you know. Yeah, you compare Nebraska's offensive stats to UCLA's with Chip Kelly trying to get the th- same thing going out there in Westwood, and it's nowhere near the same. And they they also had a true freshman starting for a while, and he's been bed- benched it for uh, Wilson Spate. So yeah, I mean, it's all about getting the right guy in place uh, sooner than later. As Honky's made points from some of our opponents who have failed to get their quarterback. And um, UCLA's numbers are nowhere near as good as Nebraska's offensive numbers. Mm-hmm. So, good point. I think some other offensive things to talk about as we move away from the quarterback. Azigbo for the fourth time in five games, topped 100 yards. Spielman, he's moved into the top ten all-time receiving yards. Yep. And the guy's a year and a half into playing. I mean, we've it's 
everything that Martinez is doing is because there are other people around him already helping out. I mean, it's not just wait two years to get more recruits in. There are already receivers not dropping passes. Yep. There's already running backs that they went through the Greg Bell experience, and that didn't work, right? They went there, the experiment of him, I guess. They they tried, you know, we, we assumed that Maurice Washington would just be the flashy freshman guy, and, and, and there's some extent he is, but they've fallen back on this Azebo guy that a lot of people had yeah, probably thrown away. Yeah, but dude love the spin and, move or what? <laughs> it's fantastic. I, I love the <laughs> – I love the, the big back, small back thing that they do. It is great to see one play, one one down, and the next down, the next guy comes in and does something different. So, Honk and Mac, I've been thinking about this for a while. and I yeah, I love seeing some of the new guys out there this week. Miles Jones, for example. Excited to see that guy uh, play more going forward. Next year, though, we do lose Stanley Morgan and Devine. So who in next year's offense fill those two roles most effectively? That's tough to say, particularly Stanley's. You know, that guy has been a consistent producer his whole career. Devine has been on the team, and he's had his his spurts, but, you know, never a guy that was like a featured player. Stanley's going to be tough. Um, But to jump to take – yeah, well, his his physical size is a little mm-hmm. different than most of our recruits right now. We're either going a little taller or a little shorter and faster, so the body type's a little a little hard to find. But to take the easier answer, Divine, I do think the JUCO guy, Diedrich Mills, that we're getting, uh, the former uh, Wake Forest running back, he fits that mold Georgia to Tech. me. Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech, that's right. Uh, kind of a shorter, squattier guy, maybe even a little bit faster. Although I, I just don't know how fast Divine is anymore. I, I, he he pulls away from guys. I don't know, but anyway, I I feel like he's gonna kind of complete that thunder lightning, whatever you want to call it, combination sure. backfield. Who do you see Honky uh, taking over for Stanley's spot? Well, I, I'll start with the running back. Is that if, I already did the running back? Well, if I I do think Jalen Bradley, almost the story almost writes itself. Is that similar to Zeke, a guy that's been written off? You know, give him another year, give him another chance under that that staff. He is a bigger back, anyways. He's a bigger back. That he could be somebody that's already on the team. The Greg Bell experiment, I swear to God, it has it's tainted me with the JUCO thing to where to just assume the next guy is going to come in. I, I totally get what you're saying. And, yeah, right. and the guy you're talking about, Mills, he's not your typical just your JUCO. Nope. He's been in Power Five right. football. So it's not apples to apples. But like, I mean, we, uh, a lot of people bought into the Greg Bell train. And and for a number of reasons, it didn't work out. And it's like, I want to see a guy like Bradley fight through this, give a good offseason, you know, keep working in the, in the program, see where he's at. Now, to the to the receiver spot that you talked about, I think the guy that's going to probably replace Morgan is, and this is the cheapest answer I can give, I think it's Spielman. And I don't know that, we are, I don't know <laughs> that we're going to be a two-receiver power system next year. I think we might have one All-American receiver, and we might have more of – I think UCF had this, you know, at least last year, where I think they kind of had one main guy and then a whole slew of dudes that were catching balls around him. And right now, if you look at our our receiving stats, it's kind of funny because it's like two dudes and then everyone's way down the list. Yeah. And is. next year it just might look different. It might just be Spielman's your thousand yard receiver, and then you have a whole slew of dudes catching a couple balls. I mean, who know, and who knows all those guys? Legarian. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Katarian Legrone. Le- Katarian Legrone. I could be totally saying that wrong. He, he got out there this last week. Big guy. Huge. You, huge, but you could tell he's – but you could look at him, and, and that's a freshman body. Like, yeah. You look at that guy, and he looks like one of those young 
kind of like Miami guys before they got they've got the explosion and everything like that when when Duvall gets a hold of him for a full year. Yep. You know, Frost mentioned that today with uh, Washington talking about and he oh, kind of yeah. said he kind of alluded to he's playing about 180 right now and he wants him in around 205 210 next year, which I think's crazy. I'm going to go on record saying <sighs> I wouldn't want much more than 200 just for next year. Hmm? So I text Frost right away. I was like, brah, brah. Got to think about this, man. <laughs> remember Green. Remember Vermont Green. <laughs> All right, guys. All right. Uh, anything else on offense before we move on? Let's see. Tight ends jumped up a little bit. Jack Stoll play. Katarian. Yeah, Austin yeah. Allen caused first pass. So Wyatt Mazur. I mean, let's not forget yeah, about Mazur that. I love, is... I love that kid. That kid. He's from Loop. He'll no, he, he's a uh, oh, Boone Albion. Central. Yeah, Boone Central, Boone Central. Albion. He's going to carve himself out a role. But before it's all said and done, he's going to he's going to make some plays. Yep. Yep. That's awesome stuff, man. Throw the bones. The defensive breakdown. All right, fellas, let's uh, get into our defensive breakdown. Uh, defense uh, had its moments on Saturday. Maybe not uh, a ideal performance versus a. FCS opponent like Bethune, but um, turnovers at time, uh, you know, at, at important times of the game, um, ultimately only gave up nine points. Six of those were on touchdown the last play of the game. Uh, Mac, what were your uh, impressions of that uh, defensive performance? You know, for the most part, I was I was pretty happy with the defensive performance. They uh, they were efficient at times. They they bowed their back a couple times when they got close to scoring. The the first unit. They played just a little bit longer than the first unit offense. You know, they did get to go into the second half, and um, I, I thought, I thought they they tackled well, they filled well. I'm I'm really starting to see our defense play as a unit better. I feel like their assignments are are getting cleaner as they go. So that's that's good to me too. You know, this is you know this far in the season, that's kind of what you're hoping to see. I think Mo Berry, a couple of times when he blitzed, I thought he looked like the, the fastest guy at getting home blitzing that we've seen in a while. So that was nice to see. He's actually, you know, he's one of those guys, he's been playing hard the entire season, and now the repetition and the familiarizing with the system, he's starting to get himself in really good position and playing hard, which I think are going to result, in, you know, and good play for him going forward. So that's the kind of thing we can build on, and it is absolutely the kind of thing we're going to need going forward because we're going to have to play perfect on defense to get to have a chance with Ohio State. Yeah, absolutely. Honk, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, there, there's some good things happening. Boodle has 14 pass breakups, which right now is four away from the school record. So there's guys that are certainly you know stepping up. I, I kidded about on at my hot take at the beginning about Ben Stilley and, and not accepting his black shirt, but I'll tell you what, the black shirts that were new a week ago, which were Trey Neal, Lamar Jackson, the Davis twins, and Stilley, Stilley played like a beast, I thought, on, on the weekend. And I think he has he's steadily improved, and he's knocking down some passes, and those are the things. We're not going to consistently stop Ohio State. I don't have any illusions of that, but can we make Ohio State defensively, can we make them have to do – the things that defenses were doing to us the first four or five games of the year, which is, hey, we'll give up 500 yards, but you're going to have to go 10 and 12 At and 13 At least make them plays. drive the field. Yeah, you're, yeah. no big sure. plays. If we can limit big plays against Ohio State, I, I honestly, I like our chances. 
it's the big plays that are going to kill us. Right? You know, if they can go out there and, and, and score on a 70-yard play like they have the last couple times that we've played, played against them, we're going to have trouble. But, if we make them earn it, they are just as apt to eventually – it's a highly penalized team, Ohio yeah. State is. They, uh, they're they 118th in the country – or 119th in uh, uh, penalties somewhere. I'm looking at the stats here. I mean, they're, they're terrible. Yeah, so, I mean – They're like – Eight to nine penalties a game for 80-some yards. I mean, they're just, you know, a penalty in 10 yards less than us or something like that. It's, yeah, so they're, they're just they're just as bad as we are there. So they're apt to make a mistake if you make them earn it. At the minimum, we have to be good at what we've been good at, and that's stopping the run. We, we cannot lose that ability. You know, if they throw on us, they throw on us, and that's probably likely to happen. But if they can also run on us, it's going to be a very, very long day. To date, we've been decent at that, you know, so – if we can maintain that and, and, and actually keep in a game where our offense is scoring on top of it, you know that's all you can hope for. Like you said before, it might be a shootout. I mean, that might be the best case scenario for us, and we still lose. At least it'd be fun, you know. At least yeah. it'd be enjoyable. I mean, we're looking to spoil, you know, break some hearts this season. That's the, that's the, what I want to do. The crazy thing is, in a very traditional game, I would sit there and say, what we need to do is make these guys one dimensional. And Purdue made them one dimensional. They set through the ball seventy stinking times, and Purdue was able to get away with winning that. I don't know that we'd be any better off making them throw it 70 times considering how we've been against the pass. You know? Yeah. I really don't. Yeah, that's fair. But a lot of that's predicated on stopping the big play. If Honestly, they're, if, if they're going to have success against us, they're not going to throw it 70 sometimes. They won't need to. They'll throw it 40 times, and they'll complete a bunch of 50-yard passes. That would be, that would be the, the best-case scenario for Ohio State. For us, it would be – if they're throwing it 70 times against us, honestly, that almost would be probably decent for us. So it would probably mean that they're completing a lot of short passes or there's a lot of incompletions along the way. I mean, I, I can't envision a game where they're having 70-plus plays throwing it against us. I think that'd be a, I don't think that would be a great scenario for Ohio State. No, probably not. I, I'd agree with that. But just limit the big ones. But I think some of what's, what we're looking for on defense, it kind of transitions actually into, into recruiting. The Recruiting Pipeline. And what some of the things that we're looking for right now, uh, I, I saw a stat here where we have a trio of linebackers, and this is a recruiting update here, but um, we have a trio of linebackers, Nelson, Snodgrass, Henrich, all of them Nebraska kids. They're semifinalists for the Buckus Award. And you kind of – you mentioned a little bit earlier, Mac, you were talking about uh, Mo Berry and, that, and Gifford too. I mean, real, mm-hmm. real effort dudes, and I love the effort that these guys are giving. We start to churn out some of these guys. Jackson Hanna, the the linebacker from from Tennessee, too. You you bring in some of those guys, and let's get some ballers at those linebacker positions. That we're running a three four, so there's more of them out there, anyways. Just just by formation, we need more production out of those linebackers than what we've been getting over the course of the year. Yeah, agree. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, agree, Dave. Agree. Absolutely. Um. I guess in terms of uh, recruiting, it's it was a good week for us, by the way. Um, Darian Chase, uh, wide receiver slash DB, uh, he is from Washington, state of Washington, came here, and I I very specifically bring up that he's from Washington because this class is starting to have an old school Nebraska feel to it. We're going to get somewhere into the twenties, mid twenties. I don't know the final number, but but it's you get the base of your kids here, and, and we have. Five Nebraska kids. Um, right now, eleven of our nineteen uh, current commits are from inside the five hundred mile radius. So I mean, we are you know we are definitely getting that heartland of of, of the the country players, and yet we have guys from Arizona, 
and from the PAC Northwest in Washington and New Jersey and Georgia and Tennessee. And, I mean, we are all over the board, which is what Nebraska needs to do. Yeah, it's intriguing. We don't have anybody from California, Texas, or Florida yet. Yeah, it, interesting, right? especially with the, the connections they have in Florida. Yeah. And, and you know, we'll sure continue. We will. But, yeah. But it's just, it's interesting, you know. And then, so the other guy we got uh, was this uh, Bryce Benahart, who's from Minnesota. Is that right? Correct, yeah. So he's a top 247 player. I guess that's, uh, we look at rivals and 24-7. But anyways, um, he picked us over Michigan and Wisconsin, and, and that's huge in and of itself. So he's a he's a Big Ten regional guy, right? We got the guy from Iowa, just that's right out by Iowa City, uh, oh, uh, Masaya Newsom, mm-hmm. you know. Newsom. The, getting those guys that are that are Big Ten region dudes, that are local dudes, that's that's going to flip the, the, the makeup of this team in a hurry in a couple of years. I mean, we're going to have – a physical look, I think that's going to be similar to what Iowa and Wisconsin bring, but we're going to be able to do it with talent and and a style that looks a little bit like Ohio State. It, it's going to be really intriguing when this thing's really, um, you know, kind of going full bore a few years in. But between now and then, I mean, we, we've got players. We can we can be winning now. Yeah, the staff's interesting in how they approach the recruiting, too, because they absolutely go after top prospects, but they also absolutely go after guys that have great frames that aren't maybe necessarily ranked very high, but they look at that they can add strength to and, and build upon. Because at the end of the day, I think they want the same kind of position. You know, on the outside linebacker, they don't necessarily want a big guy and a small guy. I think they want the same size guy on both, capable of doing both things. Whereas we might struggle to get that guy out of high school, what we could be really good at with Duvall is developing those guys in a couple, three years. So, as yeah, as that culture goes forward, it'll be interesting to see how our recruiting tactics change as the team changes, you know, and as, mm. as, as, as the development takes hold, as the culture takes hold, and we start turning out these guys kind of regularly, then you start sprinkling in a few all-stars based on some performances on the field. That's when things really get going, you know. But, but you know, the, the staff has a plan. You can see it in the recruiting. You know, Frost wants to take as big a class as they can get. He talked about it today. Um, they, they have to address certain needs, pass rush, cornerback, um, the offensive line. But I feel like mm-hmm. Ben Hart's a perfect example yep. of that. We're ben sti- Hart, I was just saying, Ben Hart, Mac, to your point about having the frame, regardless of the, the recruiting stars, right, he, he's what, six eight or six nine, three hundred and five mm-hmm. pounds, lean essentially. Correct. Should yeah. Actually, put a lot of weight on. Been and a theme he, so far for these guys too, hasn't it? For the line position. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, we've got other guys who don't have the pedigree that Bernard has. He's a, a four star guy essentially. The guy that we got down from Louisiana, I want to say, like a two star guy yeah. essentially. Well, right? and, and the guy Anderson, and the kid from Colorado. He's you know, he's yeah, not Michael Finn. He's not super highly ranked, but he is that. He is that lean, yeah. long dude. And then they yeah. go out and they, they, they offer that Prohaska kid from Elkhorn South a week ago who's a sophomore, you, and he's a 6'8 kid. So there's, there's, there's a body type that they're, certainly that they're going after. I, you know, I, I've long railed against the, the recruiting services and, and ranking classes and stuff because it's so hard to do. But for what it's worth and for the, for the entertainment of it, we are ranked 20th nationally. And, Dave, you and I were having this conversation earlier, and I thought you brought up a really good point. I, I I mentioned how rivals at least had Oregon number two, and that just was yep. more, more than anything was just shocking because that's not a team you typically see at number two. But you brought up another team 
and it's kind of yeah. So I mean, what's UCLA doing right now? They are ranked 66th in the country, and um, I think 11th in the Pac-12. Oregon State is ahead of them actually in recruiting. Oh wow! Uh, Chip Kelly has I think only about nine recruits. His top in-state recruit is the 48th best player in California. So he's kind of he's got several two-star guys. And um, I guess my point on that is not oh my god, Chip Kelly is doing a horrible job recruiting. Um, maybe part of it is maybe since the offense hasn't looked as good as Frost's offense, it might be a little hard to get a few guys on board as of yet. But I also think that Chip Kelly believes in his talent evaluation and goes for guys that fit his system, which is regardless of what Frost's class will end up at, um, I think also he still carries that mentality of, like, I want guys that fit my system and are the guys I want opposed to just going after the highest recruited players available. I, I kind of feel bad for Kelly because his 500-mile radius, half of it's the ocean. So, I mean, he gets nothing <laughs> out of that. So, But I, I would probably say the, the $15 million that he does have probably make up for that. So, uh, yeah, that's – I mean, my God, just that state, If he, to your point there, Dave, I mean, him not having higher-ranked players so far out of the state of California, you would think at some point, just by dumb luck, that has to change. I mean, this yeah. guy, that's he's going to start producing some of those kids, but – but right now it's it's just not happening there. So that that is kind of interesting. But Nebraska, we're on we're on good track here. We've got 19 commits, and uh, we're probably still on pace to get another seven to nine or so. It's going to be an upper 20 class. Seven to nine, yep. and, and and you know, uh, Wandell Robinson is is very close. That'll probably happen this week. And Crystal Balls all across the land say he's coming to us, and and he's the type of player that. You know, like that Rondell Moore from Purdue. He's kind of that guy. You know, he's a so, Kentucky kid. Yeah, yeah, you know, but you yeah. look at him and and he he appears to be one. Of, and I know we're projecting recruiting rank, but you but Frost is pretty good about getting those guys out there if they're special players. I mean, Maurice Washington says hello. You know, he's had a pretty yeah. good year. So you start talking uh, for that matter, the quarterback. What am I talking about? Adrian Martinez has had a pretty good year. So if your freshman's dynamic and good. And the staff has proven they can find those guys and point those guys on the field. Mm-hmm. Well, that that changes what JD Spielman has to be next year, you know, and that moves him out to be the Stanley Morgan. And then you get this. I'm just telling you, it's a good point. Uh, the the ranking, the recruiting rankings are they're kind of important because of things we've talked about earlier this year. Like there's there's a correlation between rankings and how you finish in the playoffs and everything like that. And the other important thing is, does it fit your system? And if you can blend the two, which is what they the staff seems to be doing, uh, I mean that's the that's the most you can hope for. I feel like yeah. I feel like they've got a plan. Yeah, I, I was telling this to Honky earlier. Is that I feel like this could be the best of both worlds in the sense that we could finish in the top twenty in recruiting, maybe even up to fifteenth or so, somewhere in that range. Yet we still have five in-state Nebraska recruits. We have the five hundred mile radius covered. And mm-hmm. recruiting to the system, uh, not just the stars. It's exactly what uh, Honky and I would both want, essentially, in this scenario. Yeah, to yeah. date, I think our highest-ranked recruit is a Nebraska kid. Isn't Hendrick the... Uh, he's got to be one of the... Well, he's, yeah, the, yeah. he's a 5.9 four-star, sure. so he's yeah, about he's as close as be. you. So, I mean, that how convenient. 
<laughs> the matrix corrects itself again. I predicted this, by the way. <laughs> I think the key will be in the, in the next couple of years with recruiting is you'll see it to be harder and harder for freshmen to play, I think, as we get better and better, right? Yeah, that's that would be ideal. I, yeah, absolutely. And the other flip side of it is, is that I think you'll see less of a reliance on the JUCO ranks. We'll still hit them, and, and, and we're not going to have any you know, I-coursed era rules against you know going after them, but I don't think the need to get so many will be there. And – you know, you'll, you'll spot pick a couple of positions here or there, and, and that's all we'll need to do. So. It'll be interesting to see when that stops, too, because the sooner it kind of we go away from the JUCO route, probably the sooner the program's arrived. Maybe not any sooner than three years, but, you know, if you get your freshman developed with Duvall, you figure about year three, you kind of got them on a, on a almost like a conveyor belt of they're ready to go about now. They're ready to go about now. And it's like, that's what you want. And then, you, like you said, you sprinkle in your, your, your Winstroms and you sprinkle in your Frasers. Mm-hmm. And, and then that's when that's when a program like what would separate what Nebraska could do from what maybe Wisconsin struggled getting over the hump. Mm-hmm. You know, because yep. of our ability to recruit a little more nationally. Okay. Yep, absolutely. All right. Great stuff, guys. So let's head into the mailbag. Honky, what do you have? All right, uh, Dave, we've got a couple questions here, and I'm going to go back and forth with you guys, kind of the way I did last week, direct one question to you and then go on to Dave, or to Mac. And Dave, the first one I'm going to give you is from, from Jess Johnson, and uh, she's one of our loyal female listeners out there in Colorado, and she's interested in hearing about how in-use traditions compare with other schools. So, for instance, Ohio State, they dot the I. You know, there's other schools that have, you know, entrance, you know, certain things they do, like, you know, touching the rock and all that. What, what do you think? Yeah, I, I, that's actually a really good question in the sense that I think sometimes Nebraska fails to have those really strong, long-lasting traditions. I mean, the tunnel walk, which seems like we have serious maybe back on board, um, is only dating back to the 90s, right? And then really, once uh, the tunnel walk evolved, we realized we had the horseshoe tradition, which was more and not necessarily a public thing that people knew that much about. Um, but that's been around a lot longer where the players would actually touch the horseshoe. Uh, but there's not a, it's not like you're right. The Clemson's is a great example, huh? Touching Howard's Rock, right? Or um, uh, other, like, you know, singing your alma mater after the game, that type of stuff. We just don't do, you know? And um, I, don't, I wouldn't mind if we tried to embrace a little bit more of that going forward. What about you, you guys? Yeah, I think definitely with the, the joining the Big Tens brought that out. Like, Dave, we, we were down at that yeah. first game we ever played at Wisconsin, the Russell Wilson game, and it was like a slap in the face of like, oh, my God, they have they have something for every quarter. There's There was fast waves and slow waves and return waves and, you know, when, when the crowd was doing the wave. And then, of course, they sing Buttercup, and then they do the jump around. And it was like – and then you go to the next game, and the, this other school have all these sets of traditions too. I feel like there's a little bit at Nebraska where we have a little bit of catching up. Like we're very happy with like – pre Big Ten, we we do our wave once a game and, and yeah. that's good. And and the one thing I really did like, and it seems like we I'm in the minority, I love Sirius for the tunnel walk and it was kind of like a fight going back and forth, oh we need to update that or not, but we do have the, the horseshoe thing. That's that's pretty cool. I mean Mac, do you have any other you know, kind of something that's very Husker. Are we talking fan tradition or are we talking just the, in, around the program? I think just program tradition. Yeah, well, I think the black anything. shirt tradition was really a very cool yeah. one uh, until Bo Pelini came along and strained it. You know, it's like <laughs> it's like ever since Bo Pelini, the, the black shirt thing has been this nightmare to figure out how each coach is going to handle it. Actually, I take that back. Callahan, then Bo. 
Callahan kind of messed with it, and then he did that tour to tour to camp yellow jersey. Remember that stupid thing he did? Uh, I don't. Was, oh gosh! Who's like whoever oh, had that yeah, best camp did. day gets to wear a yellow? I'm in the lead jersey. Yeah, you're like, right. Oh, because of Lance Armstrong, which is hilarious. But anyway, um, so that one, you know, the, the black shirt traditions, uh, a super cool one. And the way that was in, right. initially uh, handled was was great. Um, beyond that, the Wiener Schlinger. Is that a, is that you a know, tradition? No, you know what? I think Schlinger. that's cool, though. I, I do, too. What about, the, what about the guy who used to throw hot dogs at... <laughs> And he was super accurate, and he'd throw him behind his back, and you'd, you'd wad up the change in the foil and throw it back at him. I mean, our, our traditions, some of them are, it's the sea of red. It's the things that are growing What about on. the red balloons? I mean, that's well, the, a tradition. the balloons and, and the sea of red walking to the stadium outside of the stadium, what's going on for the hours before the game, selling out. I mean, yeah, those are all traditions that they're not the same necessarily as, you know, an eagle flying around or touching a rock. But, I mean, Nebraska has them. We just... And we're also, you know, we're a humble bunch, so we sometimes don't like to always toot our horn. But, I mean, it's a – I'll tell you this. When when another fan base comes to to Lincoln, Nebraska, and comes to Memorial Stadium, you always see, you know, in the newspapers or now, you know, on the the boards and everything, the days afterwards, they they talk about what an unbelievable experience it was. And what cool things, what unique things. So, yeah, we've Uh, we've got them too. I will say sidetrack and berries are traditions, at least for the the game day experience, those, those should count. Yeah, only thing I would I would say to wrap this up is that uh, you don't have to go very far to realize that you can have a new tradition launch relatively quickly. I mean, Miami yeah. has the turnover chain, and it, it went viral just within a year, right? And they're probably going to yeah. have that for a long time. Um, so we could do something <laughs> at some point here where it just catches on, and voila, we've got something new, you know? But, Agreed. Uh, Absolutely. How about how about winning football games? That's that's a great tradition. I, 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 that's always been my favorite Husker tradition is when we win conference championships. That's our tradition. How about that, folks? Absolutely. Love it. All right, next question. Mac went. This one's for you. This is from Deputy Don. He says, What's your fave offensive play? No special situation or field position. Just hands down what's your favorite play. I mean, it's 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 boring, but I like the zone read. I mean, it's a it's a sweet play. I mean, there's especially when you've got a dynamic uh, running quarterback like we do, and and now my like new number two with a bullet, Divino Zigbo player in there. He's fascinating to watch run that ball. <laughs> um, a side note, though, you know, Dave, we were talking about this a few weeks back about plays setting up other plays for touchdowns, but that one. Uh, touchdown play where he slung it over the middle to Stanley Morgan. If you watch that going back, that was a fake. Like Stanley Morgan runs out like he's going to block that corner, mm-hmm. and a Spielman I think jumps back like he's going to catch a screen, and then he turns and jumps in the middle. Ball touchdown. It was sweet. I mean, that's, that's the great, kind of great, stuff that we're point. growing to. So I mean, this offense. That's a great question because a favorite play. Good luck finding a repeater. It's it's hard to tell because the formations change, and then they have motions, and the personnel changes. It's hard. So. It's still a transition. My favorite plays are touchdowns. <laughs> it's still a transition for people of our age where we're still familiar with triple options, for cripe's sakes. But, like, I, I coached with Dave and Mac for a number of years, and we would – one of the toughest things to do when you're running a triple option, which is my favorite play – one of the toughest things to do is teach kids to keep fakes going. If you've, fa- if you've handed off, keep running like you still have the ball and, and run the fake out because the next play we're going to fake to the fullback and you're going to actually run an option, right? Well, the same thing 
And this is what we have to kind of learn in this new offense, and we don't know it well enough, but the same thing applies today. There's going to be a zone read, and then there's going to be a fake throw, but the next time you're actually going to throw it out to yeah. Spielman. But Spielman, if you're on the play where you're not getting it, you still have to put your hands up like you're going to catch it. You still have to run the fakes out. You have to give the defense all the looks that they would get so they have no idea what's hitting them. Dave, real quick, what, what do you have a favorite play or – No, I don't. No, all right. <laughs> I also like victory formation. Victory formation is a great one. All I right. do like play action about that. That's great. <laughs> and, and that's a perfect one that has to be set up. I'm starting so. to like the one where Adrian like fakes like he's going to run and then dumps it off to the tight end streaking down the middle. That's, I think that play's yep. going to be big going forward, that is. too. Okay, and our last question, Iowa Kirk and Steve from the farm. This is a duo question. They asked, is there a real or perceived or no gap in between the Big Ten West and the East? And we asked this question on Twitter last week. We had 370 votes. 82% said yes, but the gap is closing. And then 9% said yes, the gap is growing. And 9% said there's no gap. I'm going to start with Dave. Is there a gap? Is it closing? Where are we at between the West and the East? There's definitely still a gap. Um, And I would say that just from a consistency and and top, top end uh, there's just, I mean, there's, there's just better competition there on the, on the east side. Is it closing? I guess, I think from a depth perspective, I think it could be closing. Yes. Because of, if Nebraska is starting to turn the right direction, Purdue is turning in the right direction. Um, if Minnesota can even just go anywhere near the right direction, then I think the West is now back to being, deep enough to say you have like you know you can take the top you know east team versus the top west and go on down for five or six and and you have some pretty decent matchups but ultimately until the big 10 west actually really looks good and wins the conference it the east is still going to be dominant i i 100 agree and i think the reason the question was even being asked now is because you're finally starting to see you know northwestern beat a michigan state or purdue beating ohio state Iowa's beaten Michigan, Ohio State the last couple years. So you're at least getting some some high-level wins. But I think that the fact that I'm going to say, yes, the gap is there, but it is definitely closing, is that it's the depth of it. The West having a Fleck coaching at Minnesota, having Brom now at Purdue, having Frost at Nebraska, and then Nebraska just flat out needs to be Nebraska. There's there will never The West will never equal the East until Nebraska is Nebraska. Yeah. I agree. And I just think that also from the top 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 line of the West, we're going to produce a Big Ten West champion this year that's probably going to have at least three losses, it feels like. Right? Yeah, I agree. You know, got to be it down to one or two. Uh, to me, I guess the East has got right now, and I wouldn't have said this until Michigan started having this year this year, but – Michigan's looked pretty good this year. They've kind of stepped up to maybe that next, you know, echelon of, of teams. Ohio State's been there for a while. So it's been kind of clearly Ohio State on that side. Michigan's picking it up. Michigan State, that team is, is inconsistent. You know, and, and people want to tell you that a D'Antonio program is so consistent, but it really hasn't been that consistent over the last three years. They've, they've shown a little... Uh, certainly not over the last three or four years. They've been very up and down. And, and Penn State, kind of the same program. I mean, they've been pretty good. They've recruited really well, so people expect the most out of them. But you go to our side, Northwestern, 
painfully consistent. You know, they'll beat a team each year that they're probably not supposed to, but you can't necessarily say they're going to challenge. Wisconsin's been super consistent, super good. And, yeah. And Wisconsin, the, the worst thing Wisconsin's done is they haven't won big games. Exactly. But they're, but they're close. Yeah. It, the, the, the West side is kind of like teams are who's everybody's waiting to see who's going to take control. Yep. You know, Wisconsin has been there for so long, and yet they won't take control. But Iowa's right there. Purdue's right there. Northwestern's maybe right there. I mean, but, yeah. Yep. The East the East has got two, one legitimate powerhouse and two interchangeable. I would say they swap between Michigan and Penn yeah, State. Yeah, because Michigan's still a national power, but they haven't won the conference exactly. in, in 15 years either. If, so if, if we were ever to start competing, so like what we would thought we were capable going into it, it changes that dynamic completely. All about Nebraska. It's always been about us. <laughs> Redcast predictions. All right, fellas, let's uh, do the picks of the week. Um, Honky has Boomer's picks uh, written down, so he'll be able to add those in uh, after we go around the room. Uh, last week, Honky actually had a great week. Uh, Honky, what did you go, 8-2? and two? Is that right? I'm as shocked as anyone. Well, I'm not shocked because I think there was like something like 9 or 11 – Top 25 teams lost, tons of upsets, and that plays into the honky has a good week. That's a perfect uh, week for me. Right, because, <laughs> right, I mean, you pick all these these ridiculous games, and sure enough, that, that gets you at 8-2. Uh, I think Mac and I 5-5, five and five, Boomer 4-6. and six. I picked up a game on my, my closest competition, um, even going 500. All right, boys, let's, uh, let's uh, go in here. I think we've got a – this is a Thursday night game. We have – Temple uh, heading down to Orlando for our good friend Central Florida. UCF on an 11-point favorite, still undefeated, longest win streak in the nation. Let's start with hockey. I'm going to go UCF, and I'm just going to throw my lock of the week on it right away. That seems unreasonable, (laughs) but probably correct. Hey, did I win my lock of the week? I did win my Washington State. You did? Bonus two points. There you go. Nice. Just made that Uh, up. Mac, uh, UCF this week? Yeah, I'll take UCF this week. All right, I'll take the Knights as well. What did Boomer do? Boomer took UCF. Oh, he picked he picked the other team. That's too bad. All right, <laughs> uh, let's stay out on the East Coast. Uh, ACC action. Syracuse now ranked for the first time in God knows when. Uh, Dino Baber is actually really doing some good work there. Uh, five point favorites on the road at Wake Forest. Mac. <laughs> I'm sure you know the the orange quite well, right? Oh my God, who's favored? Well, Syracuse, Syracuse and they're and they're ranked now, so they are ranked. All right, we're gonna go with them. <laughs> Bowl eligible for the first time under Dino Babers. I'm feeling better than ever about this pick. <laughs> lock of the week. There Wait a minute, there's my lock of the week. <laughs> All right, I'll also take Syracuse. Honk. Uh, Syracuse and Boomer took Syracuse. You're a coward. <laughs> Very conservative yeah, one, eight, right now. Two on week and he gets conservative. You see what's happening here. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah, he, he goes eight and two suddenly. Uh, all right. Um, let's go some big boy football then. SEC Georgia nine and a half point favorites going to Lexington, Kentucky uh, to take on the Wildcats. And I'm going to keep on talking Wildcats every time because we learned that Wildcats are the most popular uh, mascot. Um, you know, the Bulldogs are ranked very high. Kentucky survives a Missouri game where they clearly should have probably lost that game to remain ranked. Who would have thought Georgia-Kentucky? This actually decides the SEC East, I believe. Whoever Correct. wins this wins the East. 
Honky, who do you have? Uh, I'm going to take Kentucky at home. Nice. All right. Mac? Yeah, I was going to take Kentucky too. Terry Wilson, making a believer. Nice. Wow. All right, Terry. Wow. I'm going to take Georgia. I'm not going on that far of a limb. What did Boomer do? Uh, Boomer took Georgia, and that was his lock. Oh, all right. Uh, okay. Uh, West Virginia. This is another ranked versus ranked. West Virginia heading down to Austin to play Texas. Uh, Texas off of a loss there against Okie State. Uh, Gundy had some great quotes in the press conference there. Texas is a one-point favorite. Uh, Honky. I'm going to go with Texas. I think they're going to come back. I was the only one to take Oklahoma State a week ago to beat them. Mm-hmm. But now I think that Texas is going to get it turned around in Austin. Mac? I'm... First off, I love Mike Gundy. I think he's awesome. Secondly, I'm taking West Virginia. Mountain Mama, they're going to beat Texas. Yeah. Interesting. I'll take Texas at home. And Boomer took West Virginia. He's a big, ah. he's a big fan of Grier. I know that's his. Yes, that's his guy. So, all right, let's uh, let's do some uh, Big Ten action here. Um, another good matchup here. Uh, we have Iowa heading back on the road again. They just lost at Penn State in a, a tough game where they really uh, could have could have won that game at the end. Could not get an offensive touchdown when they really needed it. Uh, they are heading to West Lafayette to take on the Boilermakers. Purdue a three-point favorite. Honky. You know what? I, I'm going with Purdue here. I took Iowa a week ago to win at Penn State. I think it's a I think it's a, a bad loss for him. I mean, not bad in the sense that Penn State's bad, but I think it was bad how it happened. And we talk culture and we talk locker room and all that. I just think that this is going to be a tough week for Iowa to turn around, and West, West Lafayette's proved not to be a great place to have to do that this year. Yeah, that's a good point. Mac, you mentioned that they – didn't have Noah Fant on the on the field for that last drive against Penn State. I don't know what's going on there, but it seems a little odd. Who are you taking? Yeah, it feels like there's some dissension going on in the Ooh. Iowa locker room. Yeah, I don't care for it. I don't care for it at all. I'm going Purdue. They're hot. They're ready. <laughs> Purdue, so hot right now. Yeah, you know, Iowa like barely dropped in the polls uh, from that loss. That was, that was intriguing. Um, yeah, this is a total toss-up. I'll take the home team here, Purdue, but boy – I could go either way. And Boomer, he'll he'll make up a, a lot of ground here. He's got Iowa, so he's the only one taking the Hawkeyes. All right. All right, boy. That's, that's a tough one. All right. Uh, also in the Big Ten, Penn State on the road at Michigan. Um, Wolverines 10-point favorite. Uh, I will take Michigan in this one. Mac? I will go with Michigan as well. Honk? This is Honky's stupid pick of the week. I am going with Penn State on the road. Oh, that'd be a big upset. And Could happen. Upset. Boomer is taking Michigan. All right. Uh, then we got Notre Dame, an eight-point favorite uh, over the Wildcats of Northwestern. Uh, honk? <laughs> My double stupid pick of the week. I'm going Northwestern at home. Clayton Thorson awesome. is the greatest quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> Have I always said that? He is. I'm going with Northwestern. All right. Mac? I honestly need to watch Notre Dame play a football game this year, but we watched them play Michigan. That was the only one. Well, I didn't. Well, you were. Oh yeah, you we're were kind of right. on our phone. Anyway, point is, I'll probably take Notre 
Yeah, man. That's a smart, I, I, I smart really kind of hate not going Northwestern, but I'm going to take Notre Dame. It's a big game. Dame. It's a huge game. They're really. just a weird team. They can sometimes win these games. I'm gonna I'm gonna take Notre Dame as well. I think offensively they will just simply outscore Northwestern. I will take Notre Dame as my lock as well. Okay, and Boomer takes uh, Notre Dame as well. Oh, well then I feel better. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Potentially the game of the week, one versus four, but it's still a 14-point spread for the road team. Alabama, 14-point favorite over LSU. I think this is also a night game in Death Valley. Is that right? Wow. 14 points. Alabama. Honky? I have said this before. I am rooting for Bama, and I'm t- and this is why. I, I can't stand Bama. I, I want them to lose the second they get into the playoffs. But it would be devastating for the playoffs if LSU wins here. Because if they win and win out, Bama doesn't win their division, Bama doesn't play for an SEC title, and Bama will still make the playoffs. If LSU wins this, goes and plays Georgia in the in the SEC title game and loses, guess what? Georgia will make it, Bama will make it, and LSU could be a third team in because they will have wins over Georgia during the season and Bama. Yeah. So having said all that, Go Bama, go Tide, win this game, make it easy, destroy the SEC. The uh, the mad genius of Nick Saban, he's probably going to actually like intentionally lose, lose this it. so he doesn't have to play another game and he knows he gets he in the will. playoff anyway. Ugh. Ugh. Mac? Puke. This is my clawback game of the week. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with LSU. Ooh, I just tough. don't, I just think they're due. I just think they're due. That'd be awesome for Joe Burrow and company. That'd be cool. Um, they're I'm not out talented. I mean, I mean, yes, they are, but LSU's got players. Yeah, sure. about as close as you can get to Alabama. Yeah, it's that's the honest truth. I mean, as far as athletics, them Georgia, those are the only two that legitimately can do that. And yep, Alabama oh. will have to play bad. Okay, I'm taking Alabama. Boomer. Yeah, Bama's got or Boomer's got Bama. <sighs> Boomer's got the cowards. All right, uh, West Coast. Uh, this should have been a good matchup a few weeks ago, and now. Both of them are unranked. We have Stanford going to Seattle to take on the Huskies of Washington. Washington, an eight-and-a-half-point favorite. Mac? I'm sticking with Washington. I've been riding them this year. Yeah, Sometimes I'm also good, take, sometimes bad. I'm taking the Huskies as well. Honk? I've been riding Stanford the whole year. I'm going to stick with Stanford, and, and so is Boomer. So, All right. Wow, me and Boomer are like at least got four splits here, so this is a big week. All right, so let's finish this off with uh, our favorite boys in red, Nebraska, playing the boys in black this week, Ohio State, with the alternative uniforms. Uh, spread opened up around 22. It's down to like 20 and a half right now. Buckeyes heavily favored. Let's start with Honky. Well, I mentioned earlier I've got a buddy, Buckeye uh, Buckeye Dennis, and he I trust a lot what he says he's – been a longtime supporter of them, and so I wanted to just read something that he said. He texted me. He said, for the past two weeks, the skies have been falling in Columbus. What's wrong with the Buckeyes? Do you know what they get beat by? A very good Purdue team at a very difficult place to play. Nebraska will move the ball. Adrian Martinez has been nothing short of amazing. Azigbo could be a big problem, but not sure if the, the Black Shirts will be able to stop the Buckeyes for four quarters. He said both teams have penalty problems, and at the end of the day, he thinks the Buckeyes win a 45-31 to game. I think that's probably a pretty fair assessment. Um, I'm going to be the rose-colored glasses, scarlet-colored glasses guy here. I, 
I, I think it's going to be a shootout. I think we're going to put up a lot of yards on them. And the question just becomes, does that turn into points? I'm going to say it does. I'm going to give us the win because, damn it, I just don't want us to lose. And we're going to win the game. We're going to win the game 49 to 48. Love it. All right. Uh, Mac, can you uh, top that uh, Scarlet Colored Glasses right there? <sighs> no. <laughs> What'd your friend pick, predict the score at? He said 40. Shoot. 45 31. 45 31. That's probably about what I'd pick it at, and I would pick it in favor of the Buckeyes. And I don't, you know. I'd love to see everything you just said, but I could be pretty happy with a team that did did that as well. We play with these guys. We stress them out. The offense shows that it can move the ball against elite defensive talent. I can live with that if our defense is doing enough to keep us in the game, making plays. Who knows? You know, a turnover. If we could keep it to a score where a turnover here or there can swing the difference in our favor, I'd be tickled. So, yeah, uh, 41-35. Uh, Buckeyes. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. Um, also, think that we're just not going to be able to score enough points and not stop them often enough. Uh, I, Ohio State doesn't lose shootouts, um, and I just don't see how we're actually going to be able to stop them enough to, to stick it out. So I'll go um, 48-31, Buckeyes. And Boomer, uh, he says that he just hopes that we can outscore the Buckeyes, but just not sure that he trusts their defense, our, de- our defense against the school with that much physical talent yet. But he had a very close game. He has Ohio State 42, Nebraska 38. Yeah, we're about right there. I'd also take that. That'd be, that'd be a very competitive game right Yeah, based off the last couple of years. Do you, <laughs> Any one do of you these think, scores. Do you think Zigbo right. gets 100 yards rushing? Yes. Oh, definitely. Do, what do you think, Dave? Does Zigbo get 100 yeah, I think that could happen. Okay. I think I, I think we'll get 200-yard rushers. I think Martinez will Whoa. run for 100 yards. Martinez is going to be a major part of this offense, running game, passing game. He is going to be on display for a national audience. And, and I think Martinez is going to – he's going to have his best game of the season to date. That's 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 my prediction there. He's gotten better from, from Michigan to Wisconsin in terms of the big road games that he's played to Northwestern. He played if, outstanding. If he has his best game, that's great because that means that other guys are doing their job. That Absolutely. means the offensive line is doing a good job. It means our receivers are catching the ball. Here's the thing. You know, in these games in the past, we've come out in, in the 50-50 balls this year we've been a lot better on. And, and we have traditionally been horrible about 50-50 balls in big games. Or 50-50 plays, you know, as, as far as the defensive back versus yeah. the wide receiver or our wide receiver trying to make the ball. Stanley came out last week, was really good on the 50-50 balls. J.D.'s been really good on the 50-50. If you see early on, and they all talked about this in the press conference too, you weather the storm of the first quarter. Exactly. You get through that barrage. You get through the initial emotions, and it just becomes football. Maybe this team's temperament's set up because of all the losses we've endured that we're just not going to cash it in or make any judgment until – the game is finally over. That's that's the kind of game it has to t- turn into for us to have a chance. It's got to be a grind. It's got to be ugly. You know, we, in a game full of mistakes, I feel like that's probably where we would thrive. Yeah. It's because we've we've made so many. I I, hmm. I I 100% agree. And they talked about that so much at the press conference today. Dave, the, I keep bringing up the game you and I went to two years ago. Yep. That game was over seven seconds into it or however long it was into it when – 
Armstrong threw that pick six on like second down. The game was over, and you're looking up at the clock, and you go, "Well, there's 14 minutes left in the first quarter." You know, <laughs> and 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 the whole point of today was this team's going to be, you know, Ohio State's been on a bye. They've had two weeks to stew over how bad they played, but yet we have to match their intensity right away. And it's an 11 a.m. game, which we've traditionally been terrible with, but we just talked about even against Bethune-Cookman. We're getting there. We're seeing improvement. So we have to weather those first five to ten minutes, but my gosh, if it's 10 to 10 going into the second half or second quarter, what a huge win, right? I mean, you. I think we'd all feel that. Absolutely, absolutely. We'd all feel that, so. I think she'd feel that. We know what we need to do, so. It's going to be interesting. All right, boys, let's get out of here with some parting shots, honky. I just have one, and unfortunately, it's it's on a sad note. But uh, sincere Redcast condolences go out to a couple people from the from the Husker family, from the Cornhusker marching band. Uh, uh, Tyler Butterfield, he was a junior accounting major. He passed away in a car accident this last weekend here in Lincoln on Friday night. And then yesterday in Hastings, uh, Jack Osborne, who's the younger brother of Tom Osborne, he uh, was in a separate car accident there and 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 passed away as well. So that's. Very unfortunate news, but condolences go out from the Redcast to to both the Cornerscore Marching Band and the Osborne family. Thanks, Hunk. And Mac? Uh, yeah, that was definitely very sad news over the weekend. Um, my shout-out goes to um, all of the Nebraska boys that were backups that have been grinding as walk-ons mm-hmm. on the team this week finally getting a chance to get out there and play and i think for the most part shows out re- showed out really well Wyatt Missouri, um noah vedrill being in the backfield at the same time how cool yeah. is that you know uh, rhymers making that sweet circus catch you know a lot of those husker boys showed up and i think you know the the ability for this team to or for the state to take some pride in this team and see some young Nebraska boys getting in there, I think that will help inspire younger generations to come. More of what I'd like to see. It was really good to see us take care of business, let those guys play, and really enjoy some of the some of the hard work that they've been putting in all this this summer. You know, and and for some of those seniors, four years of different coaches, different recruiting staffs, different systems. You know, to let them get out there and really. Uh, have a good time in front of all that that, that stadium, man. Absolutely, yeah. To, to think of a walk-on, the fifth-year walk-on that potentially has seen three different coaches and uh, a lot of changes to finally get out there and, and finally make a play in front of uh, the home home crowd is, is pretty awesome. All right, guys, uh, great show. Uh, looking forward to uh, doing this show with another victory. Maybe it's against Ohio State. That would be awesome. Let's call that a Go Big Redcast. We're good. Two in a row. Beat the Buckeyes.